Investing insights with Right Property Group. Exploring trends in real estate and helping property investors gain financial security. Hello, everybody. Back again, Steve Waters and Victor Kumar from Right Property Group for another Investing Insights filmed, videoed yep. version, uh, which we do on a... Every fortnight? Every fortnight. I yep. should know because I do turn up. Well, it's, actually, it's actually once a month, but we, we, we feel it, it comes around really quickly. Because yeah. We do the, um, um, the audio version with Phil, yep. uh, and then we come uh, and do this in our studios here with um, the recorded version, the videoed version. And the Facebook Live. That's right. And obviously, uh, we don't want to involve Phil in there because he's got a radio for, for him made for, you know, a head made for radio, doesn't he? Well, <laughs> see, you just lined yourself up for the next time we I go know, into I those know. studios. I'll, I'll be sledged. You'll be there. sledged. Slashed, yeah. You'll end up yeah. crying. We'll have to comfort <laughs> yeah, you. Yeah, it's I know. I know. <laughs> you know what? I've, we've got a better looking person this time around. We've got Zishua from here from uh, MLS Finance. Uh, we do. Um, uh, he's... Um, Top 30 broker in Australia and uh, all-round good guy. And the reason why he's an all-round good guy is because he's also a client, isn't he? Well, he is, but he's, and importantly, he's an investor as well. He's an investor as well. And uh, we'll cut back over to, to Z in a minute and we'll get talk about everything called finance, but also some, some general chit-chat. But bef- before we get to that, let's just talk about some of the major things that have happened over the last two to three weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and whilst we understand that this content won't be evergreen, we might look at it in three years' time and say, remember then, the year 2020, yep. which they'll talk about for a thousand years. Uh, but there has been some major, major events over the last couple of weeks. Obviously, we've got Melbourne Stage 4 lockdown, mm-hmm. some of the outer, outer lying areas, Stage 3 lockdown. We've got a spike in cases throughout New South Wales and some of the other uh, territories and states. And what that's done, it is instantly affected the economy and the, and the ramifications may be widespread for the short to medium mm-hmm. term but it, we play the cards we're dealt with um you can all point the fingers and have this blame game if you will but at the end of the day life goes on dare that's I say right it. that's right and and i think we've become used to it right because this is lockdown reloaded so to speak right 2.0 2.0 uh and uh people this time around are going in a lot more prepared mentally uh, and they know that it re- really it is business as usual so long as um, uh, employment is not impacted. And uh, if you look at the figures uh, in uh, Melbourne uh, of the uh, last week in terms of auction clearance rates, while the number of auctions were down, the clearance rate was sitting at 83%, uh, which is which is pretty, uh, pretty important uh, figure uh, in terms of gauging the mentality and the psyche of the buyer. And equally importantly, non-auction properties, 1,130-odd sales, non-auction, for that week. Uh, And when you compare that to Sydney, which is 1,340, the market is still continuing because, first of all, there aren't enough properties in the market to begin with. Uh, And more importantly, there are more buyers out there uh, in the market uh, than there are properties. And in fact, one of the things that you were talking to me about earlier today, Steve, was uh, the searches uh, online. High-intent search, Mm -hmm. yeah. And I think in the if we come back a step, though, with the, the Melbourne auction clearance rates, like it is a smaller sample pot, yes, so it, it doesn't is. take too much um, of, a, of an instance to change the data. Mm-hmm. Nonetheless, the intent is there, and that's what you're referring to in, in terms of the uh, search intent. And so Domain and realestate.com have high, in, uh, high search intent data, which is showing the amount of people that are coming back uh, repeatedly to, on their platforms to look for property, and it's the interesting stat there is it's actually higher than what it was last year, this time last year, and that's a really important, 
I suppose, topical point because this time last year we were over the election. Yes. So there was a lot of that pent up, um, you know, pot- potential uh, scaredness mm. on for investors on who was going to win uh, the political race, so to speak. And then when Liberal retained government, we saw an instant spike in search cri- search intent uh, transactions. Uh, we had price growth as well, and mm. yet today the search high intent search data is higher today than what it was this time last year. And I think what that does is it shows people's um, where they sit between their ears. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in other words, it's business as usual. Or people are also looking at this because a lot of people are a lot more well-informed nowadays in comparison to, say, 10 years ago um, in terms of the GFC, 10, 15 years ago in terms of the GFC. The information wasn't as smooth flowing. Now, it, is, it has got its pros and cons, right? Because the information is quite easily transferable via good old Facebook, because um, it's true. In, yeah, that's right. If it's on Facebook, <laughs> it has to be true. Um, the good, the bad, and the ugly get tra- transferred really, really quickly. Uh, and uh, the more informed um, purchasers, such as the listeners to this podcast, uh, they are look. They're looking at it and saying, "Okay, where's the opportunity?" Because money is really cheap, uh, and the opportunities do abound. Uh, and people are still needing to transact. And if we go back all the way back to the Great Depression. Properties were still being transacted at that point in time as well. Yeah, and to those who could get finance, which mm-hmm. we'll talk about a little That's bit right. later on. But what's really important, or what's really interesting, I should say, to, to study and watch and try to interpret is actually watching the infection rates be mirrored by the, the transactions. Yep. It's, uh, because it's, it's around mobility. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's not for one minute, though, um, you know, put aside the severity of the virus, the ramifications of the virus, whether it be health, employment, um, and the like, but we can start to track the infection rates with the transaction of all the transactions as mm-hmm. well. And it, once again, as I just said, it comes back to mobility. Yes, it does. if we can get around. Having said that, though, the online auction portals have done well. Mm. Um, you know what? I can't get into that. I I can't either. I, it yeah. just I have to have that physical. Yeah, not yeah, exactly. The I mean, the, yeah. the the result is the result, but yeah. I don't know if I'd be potentially too happy bidding online unless I had to and clearly that's the scenario that we have today. You've got several things working against you, right? First of all is you're totally dependent on the technology actually working for you. Uh, So in in other words, your internet connectivity Um, and if you're living where I'm living in terms of acreage and and you're living, the the internet is scratchy at best at at times, right? So obviously we need to be in the right area to to, um, um, bid on it. But the most important thing for me from an auction point of view is actually not being able to truly read the body language. I can't read the body language on the buyers, the auctioneer, the Mm. sales agents and the like. What I equate it to is, and I'm sure there's not too many people in the world that haven't had a crack on, say, eBay. Mm. And you get that, you know when you're bidding on something on eBay (laughs) and there's like 30 seconds to go and you've got that whole sort of emotional tempo thing happening. Amplify that with a couple more zeros mm-hmm. or a lot more zeros on you know half a million a million dollar purchase there's a lot riding on it there's a lot riding on it mm-hmm. and you know i wonder if there's that technology around you know i think they call it sniping technology where at the last millisecond the bid the killer bid the killer bid is put yeah. on when you think you've been successful mm-hmm. at bidding on you know whatever the widget is to be smacked in the face with 0.01 second by someone with better technology than you yeah. i wonder if that's possible with with property, be. yeah, it could be. Hence, I don't like it. Yeah, yeah. I, I just there's nothing that beats being at an auction mm-hmm. to suck up the vibe, see what everybody's doing, um, 
you know, put your best foot forward in terms of negotiation because auctions are still a, a negotiation. Negotiations on steroids. Well, it is. There's, there's a lot more sort of moving parts <laughs> yes. to it, if, if you will. So we, we're starting to see, um, if we go back a couple of steps, we're starting to see that this pent-up demand is every now and again surfacing. So mm-hmm. it's not as though, and what I want people to understand is just because we have higher infection rates, people aren't putting their plans on the shelves. They're not saying, you know what, well, now I'm out of the market. Mm. It's just they're stepping out of the market for a very small moment in time, whether it be around mobility, finance, or the like. So it's not, I'm not buying anymore. It's more about, well, I'll just have to wait another week, Mm -hmm. another month, whatever it may be, and they're re-entering the market. And we can see the transaction numbers going with that. In fact, uh, one of our buyer's agents was uh, went went through some open homes on the weekend, of which uh, in one part of Sydney, there were 31 groups. Mm -hmm. Now, that is not a soft market. it's not. Yeah, so we, we, this is the true markets within markets scenario. Correct. Where we've got some areas where you're smashed with inquiries, other areas where the inquiries aren't as robust, but there still are inquiries there, uh, and uh, some areas where the price is actually going up rapidly, and other areas where they're not going up as rapidly or they're actually faltering. Yeah, and a lot of it now also comes down to the relationship with the agents, especially around mobility. Mm-hmm. So we're not talking about off-market properties because you may or may not have heard us talk about that before, but we think that's a great marketing mm-hmm. gimmick um, for the most, but pre-market Absolutely. is proving very important. And those that have the relationships with the different agents are starting to be able to sneak around the sides mm-hmm. and secure the property. Before it hits the net. Before it hits the public net. Yes. It might be within the database, mm-hmm. but before it goes public, so Correct. to speak. But none of this means anything unless you have finance. That's it. At the end of the day, all intent means nothing. Yeah. So luckily we've got the expert yeah, so in the room. Roll. Here's yeah. the issue. That's <laughs> hey it. Guys. How have you going? been, mate? Pretty good. Pretty good. What are you seeing in the market now with all the, the work that you're doing with all investors and homeowners and the like yeah. and business for that matter? Yeah. What, is the, what are you seeing in terms of the tempo of the market and intent? There's a lot of intent there. So it could be one of the different various few types of intent. So it could be um, a, a client trying to consolidate and um, just improve their interest rates and repayment structure and cash flow for their portfolio. Um, or it could be an opportunistic investor. You know, you guys know the, the like very well, um, but thinking it's a great time to buy. They've got the means, um, they're cashed up, they've got the servicing capacity, um, time to go out and hunt. But the, the one category that I'm seeing a lot of now, and this is probably a reflection of um, where we're at um, in terms of a, a business and our, our client base, is um, a lot of investors that have traditionally been sort of growing their portfolio steadily over the years, they're looking to buy the owner-occupier. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, and it, it's probably um, the, the, the highest proportion of owner-occupied um, uh, transactions that we've done um, ever. Yeah, right. So th- that, that's, I guess, the interesting part. And, you know, to your point about I- intent, um, I-, I think the, the whole working from home, isolation thing, um, people are starting to realise how important um, their homes are. Correct. And they're like, you know what, um, this, is, uh, like, this is where I'm going to be most of my time instead of being in the office. Yeah. Um, so... The intent's there. And maybe that's the other reason if we dig deep in the intent data, yeah. maybe it's 
we're seeing a spike in that because people are working from home so they don't have their bosses looking over their shoulder. They could be a little – they don't have to be as secretive maybe. I don't, I don't know. But it's, it's interesting, interesting if, to if see. If any RPG uh, employees are listening to this, yeah. Well, it's pretty hard. They, know, that's their job, what, so they're on real estate. Do. Do. Yeah, <laughs> that's <laughs> <what> <laughs> real estate, 24-7. That's I was going with that. <laughs> <laughs> it um, quickly closed down the screen. But it's, it's interesting to see that people are now shopping the rates as well because there are some legacy rates, if you will, where people are, have their head buried in the sand or they just don't know what they don't know. And or, then, or they've been fixed in. The or they've been fixed years, in yeah. and you know, yeah. I, I can put my hand up for a you know, couple of million of that. Um, looking very much forward to that sort of <laughs> finishing. Um, circa 2% difference, just saying. Well, in, in some circumstances, we're finding it's actually worth um, investigating the break fee and breaking because if you're getting a significantly better rate in today's market, plus you're getting some rebate thrown at you, then um, in, in some cases, we're actually seeing it's, it's worth actually breaking the, the fee. In other cases, you know, it's, especially if you've only just done the fix, yeah. then, um, it's not, or it, it's just very much level peak. What about let's let's explore that a little bit um, further because I had a, a client yesterday who had roughly eight months left on the fix, yeah, but yeah, the yeah, difference yeah. was nearly two percent. Yeah, you know, what you could get today versus what they're paying. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, there's a break fee. Yeah, how much? At, let's call it just for round figures, one and a half percent. Yeah, over a circa a million dollars. Yeah. how much more are we amplifying the borrowing capacity by actually? Breaking the fix. That's a good point, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. it? It is a good point. Um, it will it will significantly change the borrowing capacity. So let's just say um, on you know one and a half. Did you say one and a half? One and a half mil. Yeah. Yeah. So one and a half mil. Um, say a percent on that. If you're looking at you know, percent on that is um, significant amount. What fifteen grand mm. um, in terms of just interest repayments, and um, that would that would easily equate to an extra because that's that's going to be um, post tax as so well. Th- that'll easily equate to an additional um, twenty um, twenty five grand worth of gross income that you'd have to be earning to to cover for that. Correct. So um, that will that will help borrowing capacity. the borrowing capacity. And I think what we're seeing from our clients anyway is that mm-hmm. a lot of not a lot, but some people are just can't get their hands on enough money. And I'd say Correct. that you know, quite loosely, but that. The difference between being able to borrow enough mm-hmm. for investment grade versus, well, I can't quite get there. That might be something that's worth entertaining, as long as the numbers, which is what you guys do, run it backwards and forwards and inside out to make sure that it's still a viable proposition with the break fees. Yeah, and then if sure. you take take our investor hat off, I suppose uh, it also would be that if you if you restructure your mortgages, it may help you qualify for that principal place of residence that you're vying for that you can't actually qualify. Uh, taking a standard approach, yeah. sometimes uh, with finance, as you as you'd agree, Z, that uh, there needs to be perhaps a, a take a step backwards to move two steps forward, right? So you take a hit in the initial stages by refinancing and restructuring the debt, sure, so that it sets the platform so you can then move up uh, in in the, in the scheme of things. Gives you the liquidity, yeah. the the future borrowing capacity, as you said, mm-hmm. um, and the flexibility to to extract equity or what have you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when when you're talking about restructuring and um, you know, setting the platform right, mm. there has been several changes. If you go back all the way back to last year with with the Royal Commission yeah. and uh, even with the COVID, now, mm. uh, what are what are some of the really strong changes that have happened uh, in finance? Um, generally, uh, if we just take uh, investors and own occupiers uh, approach together, what's the major changes that have happened? 
Well, the major changes is that there was a series of, around when um, COVID started, there was a series of interest rate cuts. And um, that was critical, obviously, for, for people's repayments and the interest that, um, expense that they're paying, but also for their borrowing capacity because nowadays um, the borrowing capacity isn't done based on a like an arbitrary um, 7.25% assessment rate. It's based on the actual interest rates that you're paying or you're going to be paying um, plus a, a, a buffer on top of right. that. So um, the fact that those um, dropped, you know, we had um, two or three um, successive cuts, um, that meant that... Um, Instead of looking at a you know three point five percent principal and interest um, uh, rate, you're looking at a two and a half percent interest rate, and your your servicing capacity increased um, significantly. Now that was counterbalanced by the other forces of because of COVID and the impact to people's jobs and their businesses um, and types of employment like casual and so forth mm-hmm. contract um, lenders became very um, apprehensive to to those industries and job types and so forth so there were some tweaking of policies um, in all different types of lenders but we we probably saw it most um, at the at the sort of the, the, the lower tiers so the non-bank lenders yep. um, because of the size of their book um, and the impact to them we saw massive knee-jerk reactions mm-hmm. so overnight um, changes to policy for instance um, uh, we'll call it a, a well-known third tier, um, w- was giving out unlimited cash out. You know, mm-hmm. we were getting approved for unlimited cash out. Overnight, it became um, a cash out of $20,000. Yeah. So let, let, let's explore cash yeah, let's out. What does, that, what does yep. that mean? Yeah, so that means that um, when investors are looking to, to utilise um, the equity of an existing property that they own um, and leverage that to... Um, buy a, another property, mm-hmm. um, they've got a couple of options in, in terms of how to do that. Um, they can you know, give both um, properties, as like both the existing property and the new property as security. Mm-hmm. That's um, known as a um, cross-collateralization. It's something that we, we, we've spoken about before. We, we, we try to avoid. Avoid like the plague and or the virus and then the other way is to um, take out a loan against that uh, the the equity of the existing property mm-hmm. um, and have it still stand alone to the new property but um, you're taking out a loan on that and effectively cashing out so borrowing so making the equity liquid interest, yeah. yeah. So you know, if you're if you're um, cashing out a hundred thousand, you, you all of a sudden you've got a new hundred thousand dollar loan against your existing property, mm-hmm. and then you'll have hundred thousand dollars sitting in the bank or in the offset or wherever it is, and then you can use that as the deposit um, and the purchasing costs for the mm-hmm. next property. So um, that's that that's obviously not as palatable to to lenders mm-hmm. as um, the the whole cross collateralization scenario. So. Whilst it's still allowed, um, they they have more stringent rules around it. Mm-hmm. And as I was saying, you know, um, overnight it went from yeah, yeah, like if it makes sense commercially to to the the lender, um, we'll do you know a million bucks um, if you've got enough equity and servicing capacity to do that. We'll give you that million dollars um, as a as a loan and as cash to do whatever you want. Or for the, the purpose reasons, of yeah, for, yeah, the yeah, yeah, for the investment purpose. Yes. So, um, but instead of that, it went down to and and we were doing that you mm-hmm. know um in the weeks preceding that we were getting 
cash outs of you know half a million dollars, you know, four hundred thousand, six hundred thousand, and then overnight, it, it um, the the um, no exception policy mm-hmm. was um, a maximum of twenty thousand, and you know, uh, that's that's nothing if you're if yeah. you're looking to. to so if property. you wanted to get more money, you'd had to actually produce a contract. Contract. That's where the money's going, so that they'll yeah. give that cash out directly linked to that purchase, isn't it? Yeah, correct, yeah. correct. And yeah. so there's many fickle moving mm. parts, if you will, to today versus what there was tomorrow or y- yesterday, I should say. But what we what we do know is that the serviceability calculations or the proverbial handbrake, if you will, from APRA from years ago has now been released somewhat, allowing more money to get into the economy or the ability for people to borrow and therefore getting that money into the economy. Because if you look at the first homeowners today with their multiple free kicks, depending on which mm-hmm. state they're at, or in, um, this time last year, there, there would have been a bunch of first homeowners that couldn't service or have enough money to service a particular loan amount, whereas yeah. today they can. That's right. And then you overlay the, the free kicks, if you will, and then overlay another component where in some areas it's cheaper to own it than it is to rent it. Mm-hmm. Then what we see is a lot of first homeowners in the market and therefore we see a lot of first-time finance. Yeah. See, one of the things, in my opinion, is going to create a problem years down the track, probably five, seven years down the track, right? Because me as a first home buyer, I'm getting in and there's minimal of my money in the deal, right? So there's minimal of my hurt money in there. Most of it is government incentives and all that. So I'm going to stretch and leverage to as high as I can get. And let's say five years down the track, we have we have um, uh, issues paying the mortgages and all that. I wouldn't be afraid to let go of the property, right? This is me thinking out loud as a, as a first home buyer, right? Because I really haven't got any hurt money. Yes, there's some time invested in this and all that. So there is likelihood that there will be some casualties of this when they haven't done their sums right, when they get into it. And that's where a good broker comes into play because when, when someone sits down in front uh, in front of you, you actually map out a good finance plan for them to begin with, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, taking that um, scenario a bit further, um, that might be something that's, um, you know, we've, I've seen a couple of clients um, Really utilize that these um, government incentives um, to good use to to be able to grow their portfolio mm-hmm. because it may be yeah let, let's put down as little as possible in terms of deposit and um, and, and leverage that um, home but you know their their real intent is to to turn that into an investment over the years and um, effectively they've they've really leveraged a lot of their um, uh, of, of their finance and. Um, it, it's sort of they've kept the the, the actual deposit aside in you know an, a separate future account. purpose. Yeah, and mm. and they've sort of um, maintained mm. that liquidity. So, I think if, if you manage it well, it it makes financial sense. Well, I think that's it? what the government's relying yeah. on here. That there's an element of um, education around this, and that the general Mr. Mm. and Mrs. Smith or Bill and Mary have some sort of financial literacy. To understand what the ramifications are, what the possibilities are, yeah. just as just as important, um, but it doesn't take away from the fact that they need the money in the economy. They need to stimulate the economy, mm. and in this case, it's via the building and property industry, which is which has know, always been the case. Which is seventeen percent, as we've talked about before, right. you know, total GDP. So it's a big part of the economy, and every the the powers that be, if you will, are saying we need the money in the economy and. This is just one lever that they can pull because, to be fair, they're probably running out of other levers. Mm. So they need to do what they can to stimulate the economy. So Vic mentioned uh, a finance plan, if you will, and one of the things that we've always 
seen is that the successful investor has very good structure, so very good finance structure. And behind every good finance structure is a financier slash broker that is actually putting together the plan. So rather than just the one property, mm. because any broker can do that, to be yeah. fair. Yeah. And so could um, you know, the 18-year-old across the other side of the counter at one of the banks. Mm. But what separates the good from the bad is the, the structure moving forward or the forward thinking, if you will. So we're thinking three, four, five loans ahead as best as we can, taking into account some assumptions of what the lending environment's going to be at that point in time. But at least we start with the right, well, a good broker will start with the right intention. Yeah. So it, it's about um, figuring out what the client wants to do so, and, and their risk appetite. So if the strategy from a, a property investment perspective is to grow the portfolio very quickly um, over a very finite um, period, say, you know, a three or four year period buying 10 properties, 15 properties, um, it's very different to buying one property every two or three years, mm-hmm. right? So the advice around um, how do we um, leverage it, you know, what kind of loan to value ratio? So what, what deposits are we putting down? Are we putting down the stock standard 20%, avoiding the cost of mortgage insurance, or are we going to, to, to push the, um, the lever and go 90% or, or even better, 88% and, and borrow the, um, the mortgage insurance, or are we going to go up to that you know, 95% and really, really push the envelope because the client is um, you know, extremely high income earner but is capital poor? So as you said, it, it is really about thinking about the, the long-term objectives, the, the long-term plan, the client's current situation, and also it, it could be about um, their, their potential situation in six, 12 months, you know, if, if they're in the military and they're going to be deployed overseas or they're, they're expecting um, massive promotions or career growth over the next few years. We need to structure that appropriately, take that into account. And all the decisions from a finance perspective need to... Um, to, to marry up to, to the property uh, strategy to their situation. Um, so things like, as I said, the, the LVR, things like, you know, are we fixing or are we um, uh, being a little bit more um, flexible with a, a, a variable setup? Um, are we going principal and interest or are we um, really trying to uh, preserve the cash flow and potentially the, the future borrowing by going interest only? So all of these um, considerations um, need to be made at that point in time, um, as you said, for the properties three, four, five down the track. So they're different scenarios, which is Correct. really a map out. Yeah, yeah. And that's important as opposed to just going over the counter and hitting buttons and saying, yes or no, you can borrow X, Y, Z. And that's certainly not taking away anything from you know, all, all brokers across Australia, but unless they have that element of sophistication around themselves, then how can they give that That's right. advice going forward? But you mentioned um, in some of those points you just said there, you know, loan-to-value ratio, or LVR positions, you know, 88 plus LMI yeah. and all the like. So one of the questions that we get asked a lot is what's the difference, and like apart from the obvious, I'll preface that, between... 90% loan-to-value ratio and 88%. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of 88% recommendations at yeah, the moment. Yeah. And, and the reason for that is because that's a, a sweet spot for um, borrowing. Um, lenders mortgage insurance is typically um, charged by tier. So you know, um, 80 to 85% might be you know, 1.2%. 
um, 80, uh, 85 to 90 might be 1.3% and then 90% plus 1.5% and 95% um, is, is 2%, for instance. Um, so um, the way, the, the reason the 88% um, works is um, take a $500,000 property purchase. Um, if you're borrowing 90% and then paying the mortgage insurance yourself, that could be about nine grand mm -hmm. for, for the mortgage insurance. Sure, you know, it could be a cost of doing business, whatnot. But if you were to borrow 88%, so put down a 12% deposit and then borrow the mortgage insurance on top of that, it's still effectively a, a 90% loan. Um, but instead of paying nine grand, you're paying six or six and a half grand as, as the LMI. Capped? Uh, you're correct, capped. <clears throat> so the, the difference between a 10% deposit um, plus um, paying the mortgage insurance or um, borrowing the 88% and then capping the, the mortgage insurance is actually very, very little. Right. So, so when you just explain cap though, so what you're talking about that they're actually... You're actually borrowing it on top of it. So it, it's an 88% loan on the overall property um, they'll lend you that, but you're also borrowing the mortgage insurance or capitalising it. So you're potentially preserving capital, your own capital. Correct. Yeah. Right. And so the reason, the reason that I ask the question is because we're, we're starting to see a lot of it and people that might be wanting to leverage, and this is not financial advice, but uh, if, they're, if they're really looking to preserve capital and or leverage the capital that they have, then 88 plus LMI capped might be something that they may entertain. Although not every lender... Is yeah, going to offer that some some lenders, um, especially again the the non banks third tiers, when it's not a mortgage insurance and it's more of a, like a risk fee, um, as in like the the lender effectively insures it themselves, um, but charges you a risk fee. Um, a lot of the times that that might be a linear um, or just a, a proportionate kind of thing. So it doesn't really matter whether you're going eighty eight percent or ninety percent plus. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Do do the calculations. Yeah. Do the different lenders have got different insurance premiums uh, in that sense? Yeah. Yeah. Good point. They do. Um, there there are two main um, uh, mortgage insurers out there: Genworth and QBE. Um, a number of other um, lenders, um, including some of the um, the, the majors, um, they do their own insurance. So they all calculate it in a different way. And um, correct. They're, they're some of the um, the lenders. Um, have you know some of the different um, insurance policies have um, different insurance premiums and even amongst um, different lenders with the same mortgage insurer just say you know bank a and bank b with genworth um, it also depends on what um, the pulling power of that bank is mm -hmm. how much they actually pass over and insure with um, genworth because they may negotiate a better premium than clients of bank b that don't do as much with genworth yeah. Yeah, so uh, it, it would be akin to saying that you know if they've got more buying power, then their their premiums lower. Yeah. Plus also if they've got a, a, a relatively clean book, in other words, no claims, they may be lower, isn't yeah, it? Correct. Yeah, correct. So there's a, a couple of other questions that come to my mind, and I'm asking this on behalf of the listeners and our and our clients that we we talk to. So there used to be uh, profession discounts. Yes, if you will, are those correct. profession discounts still available and, and who are those professions? Yes, they are, but a lot less than they were, say, six months ago before COVID all started. So the, the main category of professions um, is the, the medical 
um, profession, so generally doctors, um, GPs, specialists, and so forth. Um, it does extend in some cases to um, uh, like uh, vets and pharmacists and uh, physiotherapists and um, so etc. Um, so uh, health professionals, one category. Another category, uh, solicitors um, and lawyers, so barristers, um, legal profession. Um, another one is accounting and finance um, professionals. Um, and uh, there's other, a couple of others like um, engineers and um, sports people, um, entertainers and so forth. So um, there are a few different categories. And the, the main benefit um, over the years of this is um, allowing them to, to highly leverage without having to pay the mortgage insurance. So you know they're they're, they're putting a ten percent a ten percent deposit and they're getting a ninety percent loan um, and having the the mortgage insurance waived. So it doesn't mean that they don't actually get assessed by the mortgage insurer, but they don't just they just don't, they pay, don't pay the, it. the premium. So the policies of the mortgage insurer might apply, but the um, they 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 just don't have to pay the premium. Are you seeing that now diminish slowly? Definitely, yeah. So after COVID, a number of um, definitely banks no entertainers. Funnily <laughs> <laughs> um, enough, there's um, yeah that, that that's still in in existence. It's in the play, oh, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's right. So, um, but uh, yeah, the, the the overall sort of um, uh, doctors and um, uh, with with you know certain lenders. Um, They've either ab- abolished that or reduced the um, the the ninety percent lend to a say an eighty five percent lend. So, which is still something, mm-hmm. yeah. But it's not a, what it was yesteryear. Mm-hmm. So the other thing I wanted to to talk about is productive debt and non productive debt, and just how how much it affects borrowing capacity. So, and what I mean by that is your credit cards, your car loans, your higher purchase, your Harvey Norman cards or whatever it may be because clearly that's a lot of people have a credit card or they have a car loan with it's high purchase or, or whatever it may be, securitised or unsecuritised. Yes. Let Explain to the listener just how detrimental that is to the overall borrowing capacity. So if you've got um, 10K worth of credit card um, limit, um, for instance, um, that actually reduces your uh, borrowing capacity with most lenders by around about 50k. So that's a, it's a yeah, five to one big hit ratio, yes, and that could be the yes. difference between getting finance or not. Yes, yes, yes. And and you can extend that as you said to um, consumer debt like um, car loans, personal loans, even student loans. So hex help all that kind of stuff. Um, but even um, to owner occupied debt. So. $500,000 um, of debt, um, if it's owner-occupied, it's actually treated differently to $500,000 of debt investment loan. So when I get the question, clients ask me, oh, you know, should I go the owner-occupied um, or the investment route? Um, you know, I, can't, I can't answer that from a, a lifestyle perspective. It depends on your values and you know, what's important and, and so forth. But... Um, from a financing perspective, from a lending perspective, um, taking on $500,000 of owner-occupied debt is going to be a lot more detrimental um, because with um, the investment debt, sure, you get um, a, um, a, a rental income. Well, in the owner-occ, you know, you're not going to have to pay the rental expense. But um, the key with the um, investment debt is that you get a negative gearing add-back. The lender offers you, like in many um, cases, 
um, offer, like um, assesses your income and says, well, um, Steve, you're on the, the, the 45% um, income bracket, so we'll give you some of the interest expense um, as an ad back, meaning that you'll service better. It's adding to the serviceability. Correct. Yeah, correct. So the, and the phrase there is ad backs, and it's these little nuances which make all the difference uh, when going for finance with the methodical planned approach. Yeah. But just, just, just coming back to the, the consumer debt or credit card debt, whatever it may be, typically if you've got a credit card, there also might be car debt. So we start to really amplify the non-productive debt and therefore erode serviceability. But this is one of the reasons why, and to each their own, but this is one of the reasons why I'm not particularly a fan of the credit cards and the whole you know, scraping at the end of the month, mm-hmm. you know, using the bank's money, so to speak, because it's still a limit. Whether it's zero or not, it's still a limit that erodes That's right. the serviceability. So whilst you might be saving money in some way, shape or form, by using the bank, the bank's money for thirty days, you really need to know how much, or understand potentially how much uh, eroding of your overall serviceability mm. that it is. You know, it's a cause and effect here. You know, for every action, there's a reaction. So think very clearly about it. Know where where it's taking you or what how it's. That's it's right. a good point, and um, for for the points junkies out there, and and um, <laughs> I'm I'm guilty of this as well, but. Um, if you're if you're opening credit cards to get you know frequent flyer points, a it's not a hell of a lot you can do with frequent flyer points at the moment, other than buy stuff, yeah, um, <laughs> like goods and stuff. But um, you, you're starting to hit your credit file as well. So if you're opening a card, you know, getting your fifty thousand um, frequent flyers and then closing it in six months and then opening another card um, concurrently with that and you know doing that you know once every couple of months. Sure, you, you're really sort of topping up your um, frequent flyers, but um, if next time you go for an investment loan or a, um, any other loan, um, you've got to be careful because um, it, it, every time you apply for a credit card, um, you're, you're hitting your credit file. Mm-hmm. You've got to preserve that, especially if you're planning on growing a portfolio um, going forward. Yeah, the credit file. And not a lot of people... So you can. that's now credit score. and. Correct. You can get a copy of that yes. um, if, if necessary via multiple different avenues. But if we, if we just come back one step to the, the serviceability and the plan, if you were wanting to create a portfolio, let's say it was you know, over time five properties, just plucking a number, then how being methodical is, is what we're always talking about. It's so important, not just from a strategy point of view and how you execute the strategy, but a big part of that strategy is actually the finance. Yes, yes. And so having your broker involved every step of the way, even in your consolidation phase, whether that means buyer is there a better product out there to, to get some liquidity or whatever it may be, is, is paramount. Do you actually see a lot of people that just go into this with their eyes wide shut in terms of finance? I think unintentionally. Yeah, unintentionally for sure, yeah. A lot of people just go, oh, well, I bank with CBA or Westpac or whoever it is and, you know, I'll I'll just go down to that that branch because, you know, I I walk past that on my way home. So it's convenient. It's convenient. It's known. um, You know, I wouldn't imagine that there's too much difference between um, one bank to another and, you know, be that, um, that, that might be the case. But the way... That person, that lender, um, looks at structuring you and says, "Oh, you know, this is the um, this is the the, the lowest rate, um, and, and this is fantastic." But 
you may not realise that may be impacting you because they're cross-collateralising you um, and they're fixing you in. And you know, for you to be able to extract further equity or to be able to, to sell that property um, in, the, in the coming years might really impact you. Yeah. So, and that's all, you mentioned they're different products, different banks, and maybe the way they look at you a little bit differently. And we see it time and time again where you know, Bank A will lend you 700000 and Bank B might lend you, you know, 1.2. Yes. Just on the way that Absolutely. they assess, it. assess everything. So what are, some of the, what are some of the things that the listener can do or understand or maybe a combination of both to enhance their potential of borrowing? Yeah, so um, borrowing capacity um, is, is really made up of what you're earning less what your, um, your, your expenses are and your commitments are. So uh, assuming that you've got enough um, a deposit and collateral um, and your credit file's clean, then really it comes down to how much you're earning, um, how, what's your disposable income to be able to put towards um, more, um, more debt. So... Um, if we look at the income side, you know, that's a lot harder because you know you can't you can't um, control your income as much as you can control your expenses. But that is a, a critical part of it because long term, that's really going to dictate how much you can grow your portfolio and how quickly. So really taking the steps in the in the medium to long term to think about. Um, where your career is going, what your opportunities are, whether you're best served with your current employer or another employer or opening up a business or what have you, that's, that's a really important consideration. It's not something that you can change overnight necessarily, but it's something that you need to, to factor in um, as, as the, probably the most important. The other side of things is a lot more straightforward. So the expenses side. So looking at your living expenses. Now, that's still scrutinised um, quite a lot and probably not so much as uh, during the height of the Royal Commission. Yep. Um, but ever since that court case where Westpac um, beat ASIC effectively um, and that was overall uh, over how um, Westpac was treating um, uh, applicants' um, uh, living expenses, um, Look, the scrutiny's there, um, but it's not as tight as it was before. Um, but making sure your living expenses are, are kept under check, mm -hmm. um, so not unnecessarily kind of splurging and so forth, especially when you're, um, you know, in the months preceding to... To, to, to borrowing. To borrowing, yeah. Um, and, um, you know, we, we, we spoke about it earlier, um, limiting the, the, the amount of credit limit, total credit limit that you have in terms of credit cards, minimising any other um, uh, non-productive debt, so the student loans, the car loans and, and so forth. It would be interesting to see, like with discretionary spending and as you mentioned, the banks you know, might be asking for the last three or four months statements and yeah. are you at the club every day, are you eating out every day or what have you. Yeah. It will be really interesting to see how potentially servicing um, yeah serviceability may have increased over the last sort of three to four months because nobody is going out, nobody is spending. Maybe they're looking at the Uber Eats account. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, true. It, um, but there, but it, isn't, it isn't there So that because of, once again, mobility, which has an effect on the economy. So it, yep. it's all encompassing. Yeah. So uh, there are quite a few changes that happened during uh, the Royal Commission uh, and flowed through. Yes. And um, one of the standard approaches most lenders have is that uh, if um, uh, husband and wife are borrowing, they'd want both people on title, especially if it's an investment property. 
are there ways of of having just the one person on title and have both on the loans? Is it still possible in today's market? Absolutely. Most lenders, will, I'll, I'll go as far as saying most lenders will actually entertain that as long as you're giving a, a reasonable and rational argument as to why. Um, and the, the big concern is that um, the lenders usually have with that is that, you know, what's the benefit to one the, the other party who's not on title mm-hmm. but um, is, is on the loan? So, you know, um, that, that's, it's a concept known as um, being a, um, a security guarantor yep. so, um, and an income guarantor, sorry, um, because, um, you know, and you and I as friends, we can't do that because, you know, if I had the, the property in my name, we were both on, on the loan, um, the bank's going to I didn't say, know we were friends to begin with. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise. Um, <laughs> um, but um, the bank would say, what's, what's in it for Victor? Like, why would he um, not be on title? Because if anything were to happen to Z, then um, Vic might be left with a massive loan, but um, no property yep. behind it. So um, if it's an, an arm's length kind of relationship, then um, a, a lot of the times it, it's not... Um, it's not going to be okay. But in a spousal relationship, you can argue um, tax benefits, things like income splitting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, if you and your wife, um, you're on a higher income um, and the property goes in your name because you, you um, accrue more of the negative gearing benefits, it makes sense. You can argue land tax, you mm-hmm. know, different land tax thresholds. So the, And, and the, the benefit is that um, legally as a couple, you, you still jointly own yep. the, the assets. So a lot of the times the banks um, will... I know, I know there was a, a fair bit of pullback on that um, during the Royal Commission. And, and again, overnight, um, lenders just went, not, we're, we're just not accepting that. But that was probably more of a knee-jerk reaction mm-hmm. rather than um, a well-thought-out and considered thing. So common sense has now prevailed. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. So, because family law precedes everything. Yeah, anyway, Correct. Right? Yeah, so, yeah. Um, and and this, is, this is where, uh, when we sit down with a client, Steve, um, we do a loose strategy first with a client and then of course we send it send, send them across to Z to say actually get the finance plan right and the finance structure right first and then we'll have another conversation to say exactly what the property uh, looks like right because these days you need to match the property to the finance right most people when they're investing they're doing it in reverse they're buying a property and then trying to then retrofit the finance onto it isn't it yeah yeah it's actually it's an interesting point because what a lot, what what happens is a lot of people further to your point is that they have this overarching goal about mm. they want to purchase X, Y, Z, and they may have capital to support that to begin with or, or the purchasing to begin with in terms of deposits and closing costs. But I find it really hard to, to understand how you can create a strategy without actually knowing what the finance component... Without the fuel in place. Yeah, without the, fu- the finance component. And so there's no use, there's no use saying, well, okay, we're going to purchase this, this, and this with a result of X, Y, and Z unless we know what the borrowing capacity is. That's a great point because if you um, threw me over a client and um, the, the most suitable um, lender or the only available lender, for instance, didn't do construction loans and you're like, okay, we're looking to um, buy this, this, this person a, um, a big block, um, you know, we'll subdivision, make it, yeah, yeah, subdivision second, yeah. um, you know, make it a dual income and, and do it immediately. And then, you know, we get the finance and you find the property. And then all of a sudden I tell you, hey, sorry, Vic, um, these guys don't do construction loans. Mm. Um, then it throws everything out the window. Yep. So and that's why it's really important that 
that you that you have open lines of communication to mm. the broker and, and if you have a strategist and an advisor that they do as well mm. that there shouldn't be any so that egos involved this is a, a team effort you know you could throw in the accountant and potentially a fin planner there as well as we've talked about before but if there isn't those open lines of communication it, it might come down to something as simple as an accountant's recommending that you purchase in this entity let's call it a trust and the broker says that's a great idea but can't get finance for a trust this month or this mm-hmm. quarter and the advisor might be saying well they're both great ideas but we need a thousand square meter block to subdivide maybe it's both names so there's open lines of communication i believe are paramount but i want to come back to the point around finance and knowing what it is before a strategy can be potentially fine-tuned mm-hmm. is, is a way to look at it. you can have the overall overall yeah. strategy to begin with with the advisor or yourself but unless you know once again what the finance is, whom the lender is, what the product is, what the rate, what the LVR and what capital you have to then reverse engineer for that moment mm-hmm. in time. It's just throwing stuff against a wall and hoping something will stick. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, absolutely. Just, it's counterproductive and I think quite dangerous. Yeah, and it's one, one of the uh, common traps that most, most investors fall into is that they start pulling the trigger in terms of buying something and then uh, you know, we'll sort out finance because we could always get finance. I mean, we're good income earners and we've got a big deposit and they don't take into account the nuances of the financier in terms of, like you mentioned, uh, construction loans. Yeah, that's a big one, right? And, and also, in terms of the construction loans, what's the LVR they'll give you? Is it, is it 70%? Is it 80%? Will they go into 90s? But you could dig deeper. You could say postcodes. Postcodes. Yeah. L- therefore, LVR positions. Mm-hmm. Therefore, uh, Maybe it might be your profession. High-rise development. High-rise development. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's so much more to it rather than... I earn three hundred thousand mm. dollars a year. I've got no debt. I should be cool. Yeah. But then, or, or then you've also got a two and a half thousand dollar a month um, uh, child maintenance fee, and um, you know fifteen hundred dollars a week of um, rent. Rent. And mm-hmm. so you can't service anything with the mainstream lenders. Right? Correct. So and, that, and that's it. And so there's let's let's explore that for a minute though, because that's a really interesting point. So we have our mainstream lenders. We'll call it the deposit taking institutions. So the, yes. The big four or thereabouts. <coughs> then we have our second tier lending. Well, that, that, that's sort of, I think the second tiers um, are included in that sort of deposit taking sphere. The third tiers or the non-banks, um, they're the ones that have, they don't have a, the, the full banking license um, with ASIC, but they do have a lending license. They have a credit license, right? So they source their funds from, you know, it could be um, other banks, it could be um, you know, high net worth, it could be overseas funding. Um, but they have different rules applied to them because they don't have the same credit requirements imposed upon them by APRA. So they may be able to do things a little bit differently to the, um, to the mainstream banks, the top two tiers. They may look at the income differently. Look at the income differently. Look at your expenses differently. Look at your existing loans differently. So instead of looking at your loans um, over a 25-year um, principal and interest, um, and a buffered rate, which might be you know six and a half percent over you know twenty or twenty five years, your repayments might be you know, your deemed repayments might be eight thousand dollars a month. They'll look at your actual rates. So you're you're um, paying you know three point two percent interest only. Um, sure, it's a fixed, but they don't mind. They they're like, what are you actually paying now? And we'll 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 split that up um, at four and a half thousand. So all of a sudden you're um, existing portfolio um, is costing you three and a half thousand dollars more in the eyes of um, a mainstream bank. Where if you go to um, another um, 
another lender, and the the terms that they offer may not necessarily need to be exorbitant. In some cases, they're actually you know, the rates are comparable, or um, in some cases even a little bit better. Uh, generally, the fees are, uh, to get in are a little bit higher. Mm-hmm. You know, you th- you're looking at about a thousand dollars application fee, yeah, application fees, valuations, because they don't have the the scale of the the the, the mainstream lenders to um, to sort of give valuations for free or as part of the package that they offer you. Mm-hmm. And so once again, knowing what the outcome for the plan is and therefore potentially the property will and could dictate what the lender is. Yes. It could be the difference between getting money and not. And yep. as we were saying, um, doing it with a view of the third, fourth, fifth property down the track because buying the first three properties, you go, oh, okay, well, I might as well buy them as P&I because I, I get a better rate. But if that hamstrings you and, and doesn't allow you to get three, four, and five, then it's counterproductive. It sense. Yeah, yeah, and a lot of it is crystal ball gazing, though. To be fair, in terms of the lending mm-hmm. ecosystem and environment, because it, it was, it, yeah, there's swings and roundabouts. Yeah. It literally was only six months ago that, you know, potentially the rates were going up. Yeah, <laughs> it, yeah. and it takes you know a virus to, mm-hmm. you know, to bring the world to its knees in terms of the economies. But before that, there was something else. There was an election. Before that, there was you know. Something a royal commission before that. Before There's always that. a crisis, and with the crises, there are always opportunities. You just need to um, make small changes to your approach, and uh, this is where good advisors come in, uh, into play because uh, we are across these small changes, and we can then uh, then make sure that we're taking advantage of these small changes because it's not business as usual right now in terms of finance, right? It is it is business in usual. This week, but is this the, <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, right. but is exactly. this the new usual? Mm. Like to be uh, to be fair, I, I, I think so because there's just been so many changes. If you look at um, the, the the past decade um, in a, in a, in, a, in two halves, the like 2010 to 2015, there was hardly any changes. Mm-hmm. Like I, I remember, um, brokers would have like a laminated piece of paper with the interest rates on them, and you know it, it didn't change for months, even years a year or two right um but um and and there was only one rate it was like owner occupied was the same as the investment was the same as P&I, was the same as interest only was the same as 90 percent. was the same as 80 percent. Mm. like it was just like it, it was easy but if you look at what's happened over the last five years like you said you know, apra and royal commission and productivity and sedgwick and um corona and everything it is it is literally changing on a week by week basis, and um, lenders' appetites are changing, their outlooks are changing. Um, so they're they're adjusting their their policy. Plus, there's a lot more regulatory scrutiny. So you know they're compliance being compliance and everything. Compliance, yeah. they're being made to change, um, even if they don't want to. So there's all these different forces that's applying on them, and that's why. Yeah, you're right. It's hard to keep up, yeah. and you know, let, let alone for us, um, you know, uh, versus somebody who's not in the industry, looking at it day day in day out. It, it reminds me of I don't know how many years ago it was, and I won't mention the bank, but they were giving ninety five. No, it wasn't. It wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't that one. But it, they were giving. I think it was ninety five percent plus LMI. Yeah. Um, yeah. On let's call it a Wednesday. Yeah. And prior to that, I remember that. And then on Thursday, they came out and they said, "There is no more ninety-five percent plus LMI. We're dropping it down to eighty percent because we are responsible lenders." And it was like, <laughs> "Okay, well, yesterday you weren't, and today 
today you are, but really when you dig down into that and try to understand what it was, it was their book was full and there were some major changes around the corner, whether that be compliance, whether they were getting yeah. raked over the coals, yeah. what, which before the Royal Commission I think everybody knew what was happening, so they were trying to get everything in order. And it was just a matter of, well, we need to do whatever's right for our for their clients, for their shareholders, for longevity within the business. And so I think that's more of that to come. There'll be the the the, the handbrake will be sort of yanked up, it'll be pushed down, it'll yes, be yanked yes, up, yes, it'll yes, push yes. down, and that'll be the, the flow of money from the powers that be all the way through down into the economy because at the end of the day they need to lend the money to make the money. Mm-hmm. It's as simple as that. And and that's that's I guess a good um, lesson to your listeners is to in that you know don't don't give up hope. It's just because a lender said um, no yesterday doesn't mean in a couple of weeks months that it's still the same answer. Really, what you want to understand is how you can improve your your position and work towards getting that yes that approved. I'm, I'm glad you said that, see, because you know one of the things that we do with our podcast is we like giving things away. Right, so I'm gonna mess up with your diary now. So, <laughs> for all all of these, all of our listeners, you know, if you wanted to uh, have Z and his team look over your mortgage structure and see with the changes that have happened over the last couple of months, what you couldn't qualify with in in six months ago, whether there is a better product, where there is a better way of restructuring your loans. So, if you if you're interested in taking that up, um, I'll I'll be a bit gentle with you. So send send the uh, send your uh, details to questions at rightpropertygroup.com.au, and we will pass it on to Z and uh, his team, and they'll give you a call and uh, walk you through that as to how you can restructure your mortgage uh, in today's market to get the best out of uh, what you've already got, and perhaps even enhance your borrowing capacity doing it that way. So sorry, mate. Yeah, well done. You should. I don't know if the camera. I line him up really. I don't know if the, cam, if the cameras picked up the facial expressions. Then from Zia, it was just like, "What are you? What are you doing?" It's um, but it's good because I think there is there is a massive difference between you know what you think and what is actually possible in terms of finance. I don't mm-hmm. pretend to know it all for one minute, and it's it's changing it's daily. Changing and I and I'm immersed in it yeah. every day, not from a broker point of view, but from an advisor point of view. Um, and I, how many times a week do I ring you I, in fact I was on a I was on a meeting with a client last night and on a, on a zoom meeting and it just seemed that their their rates that they were proposed were quite high from you know a different lender yeah and because of my I don't know call yeah. it OCD gut, gut feel was right yeah and my OCD and gut feel I, I rang you hoping that you would ring, pick up the phone and there was what point seven point eight difference yeah just Small things like that, just like that. But point that point seven point eight over circa one and a half million dollars worth of loan is a hell of a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Not to mention what it does to the serviceability going forward as well. So it all adds up. All these little bits add up. So get rid of your credit cards. Get rid of your car debt. Did you actually on that? Did you see that the the luxury cars? I think we talked about this on our Facebook Live. Luxury car sales have had their best quarter in years and years and years and years. Serious? Yeah. Oh my but what that shows, and we, I don't know if we talked about this on the Facebook Live last week, but I think it was the team meeting. That oh, I was at the team meeting. Yeah. What it shows is that, and I'm just rattling off names, call it Merck, um, BMW, Jag, whatever. They've had a really, really, really strong quarter. The people that are buying these cars, they're not going in there with a briefcase, briefcase full of cash mm. and saying, well, here's $150,000, I'll take the yellow one. This is borrowed money. And yes, it's got something to do potentially with the 100% asset write-off mm-hmm. you know, from the Fed. Yeah. But nonetheless, they've still got a service for the finance 
for the car. So there's an underlying um, element of confidence between their ears that they can afford to make the repayments. But there's also an element, <clears throat> excuse me, of, of confidence that the lender's giving them the money, so therefore they think they're strong enough to be able to make those payments back. So everything may not be as what we think it might be. Yeah. There's a lot of confidence in the market out there. Well, or, or it's stress buying. Stress, yeah, if, yeah, if you're going to go down, I'm going to go down <laughs> with everything. <laughs> so I'm all in. I'm all in. Yeah. So we're, run, yep, we're running out of time. So just, I just want to maybe three points. What can someone do, that just, and even if we're reiterating some of those points, what are the three strongest things that someone can do to enhance their borrowing capacity today? First thing, think of it as a long-term game. Property investment's a long-term game. Work on your income. So I've kind of lumped you into that. Um, that only counts as one. <laughs> yeah, you, um, the other thing is um, get rid of all the um, non-productive debt, and including um, looking at your owner occupied debt it's necessary but there are ways to uh, restructure to which is a separate conversation um, to, to get you into a, a position where you kind of minimizing that but still um, not necessarily losing a lot of liquidity and um, the third is to um, uh, select your lenders um, strategically because um, Certain lenders will be strong in certain points, um, which will help you with your future borrowing and your, your, your um, cash flow and so forth. Um, and that, that will help you set up for um, your best finance structure going forward, you know, whether that is ownership or, um, again, liquidity um, and future borrowing capacity. Um, so those are the three. Um, the, uh, the, the non-productive debt, um, the um, uh, can't remember point two, can you? Quick <laughs> 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 room at the deep end. No, no, no. I was, I was, I was the testing mortgage, to you to yeah, see yeah, if you were see. listening. If we so were listening, all, yeah. all the others, Steve. Yeah, I tuned out. <laughs> yeah, <so laughs> the, mortgage, the mortgage restructure and and uh, the third one was the third one was uh, the income, <laughs> income, and it's a long term yeah. thing, yes. and that's the most important. Yeah, we say that in jest, but uh, Z is is very experienced and. Very experienced investor. How long have you been investing for now? Ten years. Yeah. yeah, ten years, and we won't go into how many properties because at the end of the day, that's all relevant to the individual. But double digits, which is which is good. And you've just bought yourself your principal place of residence. Yes, yes, bearing testament to your strategy because you know this is um, uh, uh, was not was not um, scripted, but um, I started buying um, with you guys ten years ago, almost to the day. Um, you guys helped me build up a portfolio and I know um, a concern of many clients is, oh, you know, if I start buying all these investment properties, does that mean I can't buy an owner-occupied because that's as important to me or more important to me, maybe not now but later. But, you know, that was something that I, I sort of took on, I took in faith that it, it would happen eventually and um, I, I sort of built up the portfolio with your help and um, I... I you know, 10 years later, I have gotten myself in a position where um, I've been fortunate enough to, to just buy the forever home. So, guys, thank Fruit, you. Fruits of your labour. Yeah. Well done. Yeah. It, well done. Um, so, there's a party at Z's place. <laughs> yes. When do you settle? And you're all invited. Next yeah, week. everybody's <laughs> invited. Social distancing rules apply, though. Well, well that's it. We've, we've done another fortnight slash month of the filmed, videoed version of Investing Insights with Right Property Group. Um, we really appreciate the feedback, so keep the questions coming. We have reams and reams and reams of questions which we might do a podcast mm -hmm. uh, separately 
for that one. Um, once again, listen to it, watch it via the different social media platforms, YouTube, podcasts, iTunes, whatever it may be. Uh, and we will see you next time. Next time. The information featured in this podcast is general in nature, does not take into consideration your financial situation or individual needs and should not be relied upon. Before making any investment, insurance, tax, property or financial planning decision, you should consult a licensed professional who can advise whether your decision is appropriate for you.